Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Tonight, we look at an intriguing mystery centered around a brutal murder of a woman. At the time, it looked like the police would be unable to solve the crime. There was simply too little evidence to find a killer. And yet... A frightening series of paranormal events would occur in the wake of her death. A supernatural intervention that might just allow the police to clear this case after all. I'm Peter Laws, and tonight on Frightful, we return to the 1970s for a true crime case bound up with the paranormal. This is the story of Teresita Bassa, the ghost who sold her own murder. Tonight's case begins at Pine Grove Avenue, which is in Lincoln Park, Chicago. On February 21st, 1977, residents of an apartment building on Pine Grove were settling down for an evening in. WBBM-TV, Channel 2, Chicago. The night was dark and cold, so many people were staying indoors, and they were watching television, programs like The Mary Tyler Moore Show or Bob Newhart on the local channel WBBM-2. But some people on the 15th floor were starting to notice something different about this night. They'd glance away from their television sets and look at one another, asking, Hey, can you smell smoke? The reek of it started to get so much that they began to open up their doors to glance down the hallway. And other neighbors were coming out into the hallway too, and now it was beyond a doubt. They could smell smoke in the air. But where was it coming from? They immediately called the building's janitor, who rushed up to help, but even he couldn't figure out where the smoke was coming from. Presumably there was a fire somewhere, so he grabbed a phone and called the Chicago Fire Department. Engine 44 was dispatched and raced across the city, lurching to a quick stop outside of 2740 North Pine Grove. When they reached the 15th floor, they were able to use their expertise to find the source of the smoke smell. It was seeping from one apartment in particular. A maintenance worker at the building opened up the door with his master key and allowed the fire department to step inside. And they were immediately hit with a cloud of black smoke. But the fire itself was, thankfully, fairly manageable. They flung the windows open to let out the smoke, while other members of the team wafted their way through the blackness to douse the flames. And the apartment looked like it had been ransacked or burglarized. And as they started to put the flames out, they realized that it was coming from a mattress that was lying on the bedroom floor. But the mattress was not flat with the carpet. It seemed to be in an awkward position, almost like it was balanced on something. And so they leaned in and grabbed it slowly and carefully, flipping it over. And as they did, they were hit with a horrendous stench. There, on the floor, was a lump, covered in clothes and cushions, and they started to tug those away, and as they did, the stench of burning flesh grew stronger. And then finally, as they pulled the final part away, they saw her, 
lying there on the apartment floor under all that junk. It was the body of a naked woman. Her legs had been spread open wide, and her chest held a nightmarish sight. A butcher knife had been slammed so hard and deep into her chest that half of the knife's handle was no longer visible. It had been wedged and pushed deep through her ribs. This was, beyond any reasonable doubt, a crime scene. Someone had been murdered, and the killer had clearly tried to destroy the evidence with the fire. And yet, when the room was secured and the police arrived, noses covered to cope with the smell of smoke and death, they struggled to find a single piece of evidence that would point towards the killer's identity. The victim's identity, however, was clear. It was the resident of this apartment, and her name was Teresita Bassa, who had originally lived in the Philippines. She was an accomplished and hard-working woman with a particular interest in music. Indeed, she'd studied classical forms in the US, but also in Europe, where she studied at the Royal Conservatory of Music in London. But she had built her life in America, where she had moved in 1960. And here she pursued her career not in music, but in medicine. At the time of her death, Teresita was working as a respiratory therapist at Edgewater Hospital in the city. I checked the maps and the hospital was a pleasant 14-minute drive up along the shore of Lake Michigan, which was right near her apartment. Romantically speaking, Teresita may have had partners along the way, but she was a devout Catholic. And it doesn't seem like she ever really got into any serious relationship because medical examiners determined that at the time of her death, Teresita was still a virgin. This was an important detail since her naked body, left with legs wide, suggested that she had been raped. But no, she clearly hadn't. She was 48 years old when she died. The police combed through her apartment and questioned neighbors and staff in the building, but they struggled to find any leads into who this killer may actually have been. They checked her phone records and found that she had been contacted twice that evening, but there wasn't a lot to go on there. And they had also found a handwritten note in Bass's journal which said, Get tickets for A.S. But they didn't put a lot of stock in that at the time. The only real bit of evidence was the fact that the door of her apartment showed no sign of being forced. So either she left her door unlocked by accident and someone got in and attacked her, or more likely, she knew her murderer and she had let him, or indeed her, in. So the police started to widen the search and they began to question her friends and colleagues who worked at the hospital with her. But once again, the police were in the dark. Because whenever they came up with a list of possible suspects basically people who knew her or who may have visited her, they found that they all had alibis for the night of the murder. There are sometimes murder cases that do simply fizzle away and remain unsolved because there's literally nothing left to go on. And it looked like the sad case of Teresita Bassa was going to also be filed under unsolved. Until something utterly bizarre started to occur, which turned the case on its head. Teresita enjoyed working at Edgewater Hospital. Her job as a respiratory therapist involved her helping patients who had breathing issues such as asthma or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. She was making a real difference to patients' lives. 
She also got to know her colleagues there at the hospital, including a woman called Remabias Chua, who was also known as Remy. Not only was Remy a respiratory therapist, but she also had moved to the US from the Philippines. So Remy and Teresita were not the best of friends, but they did share a background and a set of interests, which meant they had a healthy and friendly working relationship. Remy's husband was called Jose, and he worked as a doctor at a different Chicago hospital. When news of Teresita's death came to Remy in February 1977, she was saddened and upset that a colleague should die, particularly in such a savage and undignified fashion. But since they weren't hugely close, Remy just got on with work for the rest of that year. Several months passed, and thoughts of what happened to Teresita had understandably faded over that time. But then, on one particular day... A conversation with the technical director of her apartment brought up the topic of their murdered colleague. Oh, poor Teresita must be turning in her grave, the director said. It's such a shame that she can't tell the police who did it. And to this, Remy replied, Well, she can come to me in a dream. I'm not afraid. Later that day, something strange and frightening happened to Remy at work. Respiratory therapists often work shifts, including nights, the weekends, and over the holidays. And so Remy was on shift at the hospital that day, seeing patients and doing her duties. When she checked her watch, it was time for her scheduled break. So Remy headed into the lounge, and she noted that the place was empty. She had it to herself. And so she sat back in a chair and closed her eyes for a moment, just to grab a little rest before she'd have to head back out to see patients. And she found herself gently drifting off into a little nap, until until something pulled her out of her rest. She had the distinct feeling that somebody else had entered the room. And so to see who it was, she flicked her eyes open and started to look around. And yet, the room was empty. And besides, she realized that she hadn't heard the door open either. She was alone, just like she had been before. Just something unexplainable told her that she was in there with somebody else. She shook her head and dismissed this sensation. Maybe she was just too tired and the answer was to get some sleep. A quick power nap, perhaps, to give her the energy to stop thinking such silly thoughts. And so, once again, she closed her eyes. But that feeling of not being alone grew even stronger. In fact, she started to get the distinct impression that she was being watched. So she opened her eyes again. And to her fright... Standing right in front of her was a woman. The murder in tonight's case baffled the police, and at least at first they struggled to figure out the mystery. Which reminds me of how my family struggled to understand my mysterious disappearance. At least at first, it happened the other night when I was putting out the trash. I dragged it to the end of my drive, and then I never came back. About 30 minutes later, my wife and kids finally noticed I was gone, came rushing out, thinking I'd fallen into the trash can or been abducted by insect aliens, the usual stuff. But they needn't have worried because it was a warm and pleasant evening. And I was just laying there out on the grass outside my house, grabbing a little quality time with the fantastic mobile puzzle game, Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a blast, with a cool storyline, customizable characters, power-ups, and loads of levels. I'm on level 143, but there are thousands more to discover. You might think these sorts of games are for little kids, but the people I know who play Best Fiends are adults like me. You know, refined, intelligent, cultured folks who simply get a kick 
out of building a team of fiends to defeat a menacing slug army. I especially love how the pick-up-and-play gameplay fits into my life like a little session after putting out the trash. And even if your drive is out of your house's Wi-Fi range, who cares? Because unlike many other mobile games, Best Fiends offers offline play. Once my family lay on the grass and tried it out with me, they understood why slipping off to score a few levels on Best Fiends is no mystery at all. So, download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. In that initial moment of opening her eyes, Remy assumed it was another nurse who had slipped in, perhaps who wanted to speak to her. But as her eyes adjusted, her jaw fell and her heart froze. The woman, standing right now in the employee lounge of the hospital, was Teresita Bassa, who had been dead for several months. And yet, here she was, and she was dressed in what looked like a white gown or shroud. Remy breathless, tried desperately to figure out what she was seeing here. Was it a hallucination? Had she actually fallen asleep? That's one of the bizarre things that you don't expect when you encounter the supernatural. Your brain goes into overdrive, trying to figure out what this is. Before you was something clearly impossible, and yet here it is. It is frightening and disorientating. Now, Remy was not the type to have any particular interest in ghosts, but as she stared at Teresita, who just stared back at her, she was confused. Ghosts were transparent, weren't they? And yet Teresita looked as solid as she had always been, and her face looked troubled and lonely and desperately sad. Bewildered, Remy thought for a moment and decided that perhaps if she would just reach out her hand to touch Teresita, then she would know If this was no ghost, that maybe Teresita hadn't died somehow and there'd been some mistake. But as she started to reach her fingertip towards this figure, and Teresita just stared back at her eagerly, the sheer terror of it all just tumbled on top of her, and Remy snapped her hand back and leapt to her feet. She raced out of the room, scrambling past the chairs, her heart hammering and wondering if Teresita might indeed be in pursuit and she slammed the door open and raced down the corridor. Other people in the hospital were shocked to see a therapist rushing down the corridor, clearly terrified. So scared, in fact, that witnesses said she was desperately trying to scream, but no noise was coming out, and so she just opened her mouth at the sheer trauma of it all. Finally, a male colleague, a medical technician, noticed the commotion and saw the state of Remy. He rushed towards her and grabbed her arm. Remy, he said, what's wrong? Perhaps it was the touch of a real human being or just the fear of keeping it inside any longer. But she finally found the words, and all she could say was simply what had happened. I just saw Teresita Bassa in the lounge. Her colleague tried to calm her down, saying clearly this was impossible. But Remy knew that woman back there was Teresita Bassa who had been murdered only months earlier. Remy was not the same after that incident. Over the next few weeks, her friends started to notice a change in her. 
Her husband, Jose, the doctor, was particularly worried. She had always been a laid-back and cheerful woman, but since this encounter in the staff room, there was a solemnness to her, and her moods were unpredictable. But even more strange was the way she was acting. Colleagues struggled to explain it, but they started to notice the way she was behaving at work, something about her mannerisms that bore a striking resemblance to how Teresita acted and moved when she was alive. A nurse at the hospital even one day noticed an unnerving pattern with Remy. The nurse would be going about her duties one day when she just happened to notice Remy by the staff lockers and she was standing there staring at one locker in particular. It was the one that belonged to Teresita. The nurse said she saw Remy doing this on several occasions. Then Remy would change her habits in the staff cafe, for example, It's often the case that people who regularly visit the same cafeteria or coffee shop, particularly for work, will gravitate toward the same seat and table over and over again. It's part of the routine. But Remy stopped sitting in her usual spot and ended up sitting at the same table and in the exact same chair that Teresita used to use. They even noticed Remy started to sing while at work, a habit that Teresita did and Remy was singing the same songs the dead woman always sang. The trouble didn't only occur at work either, because as time went on, Remy started to become plagued with terrible nightmares at home. It started to get so bad that whenever Remy would even close her eyes, she would see flashes of the figure of Teresita standing in front of her. But then it got worse. She would then start to notice shapes and shadows out of the corner of her eye when she was awake. And she might turn and it would be gone. But sometimes she would turn and it would not be gone. And Teresita would be standing there in her home, just as she had in the staff lounge. These supernatural visions took on a rather different feel one day when Remy was in the car driving. She came to a stoplight and brought the car to a pause with the engine running idly as she waited for the lights to change. But as she waited, she saw a figure standing by the car. It was Teresita, but something was very different this time. Because just as Teresita started to fade away, another image came in its place. Only this was a completely different person. In fact, it was a 32-year-old orderly from the hospital, Alan Shari. And yet here he was, somehow standing next to her car... And then he faded too, just as the visions of Teresita had been doing in the last weeks. When she went back into work, Remy saw Alan Shari working at the hospital, and she was shocked at the feeling she got when she saw him in the flesh, a sense of hatred towards the man. She shared this feeling with one of her colleagues at work, who surprisingly came back and said, That's interesting because her and her colleagues had also started to take a dislike and distrust of Alan Shari at work. He was a boastful and proud man. He would claim that he owned an airplane, which he used to fly to New York at the weekends to speak at lectures, and people just did not believe this was true. But for Remy, it was more than just a dislike. She was scared of him. Remy went home and spoke to her husband about this whole affair, and she explained how she'd been plagued with horrible nightmares and strange waking visions, not only of Teresita, but now of this guy from work, Alan Shari. Dr. Jose, her husband, tried to reassure her, telling her she was safe, but he acknowledged that what she was experiencing was clearly distressing. 
But not long after, Remy noticed another weird sensation. As well as visions, she started to smell something. Her nostrils were filling with the aroma of smoke, even though there was no fire nearby. In time, things got so bad that Remy lost her job at the hospital, and she started to get so exhausted with these visions and her lack of sleep that at one point she had to go into the bedroom at home to sleep. This was in the afternoon. Now, Remy's parents were actually in the house on this occasion, and also her husband, Jose, and he just happened to be on the telephone not far from the bedroom where Remy was sleeping. And he was calling his lawyer for something or other, and his first words on the phone to the lawyer was this. He said, Hello, Al. And it was on that word, Al, that a bone-chilling scream ripped through the house, and it came from the bedroom. Join me next time on Frightful to hear what Remy's husband and parents discovered when they stepped into the bedroom that day and find out the remarkable turn of events when Remy's husband finally decided to approach the police with his wife's wild claims that she was somehow possessed by the spirit of Teresita Bassa, the ghost who solved her own murder. I'm Peter Laws, and you've been listening to Frightful. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.